Turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Can you believe it? The ninth in our installment on this series. A lot of my peers are smarter than me, more education, and they plan out their series. They know, you know, three months into this year what they're going to do and all the series are planned out. I just said, we're going to start in Hebrews 11, and here we go. And we're already in installment 9, and you haven't left yet, so that's a good sign. Stand with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. On our series, By Faith, Facts, Myths, and Miracles. Our premise is, is this, if you're new to this study. Most teaching and preaching that you see today on television or the internet, when you hear faith, it usually refers to you getting something from God. But most of this chapter is about God getting something from you or giving something to you to put through you to someone else. And in Hebrews 11, verse 11 and 12, here's where we are today on the life of Sarah. Through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, which this means postmenopausal, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah received strength. That Greek word is dunamis, power. The same word that says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Sarah received divine enablement to conceive seed when she was past age because she believed and judged God to be faithful with what he promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Sarah had an unlikely path to power. Tradition had it that she was the daughter of a sheik, uh, raised in gross idolatry, far from God, far from the knowledge of God, and unbeknownst to her, her high school sweetheart, Abram, God was going to elect him from all the people on the face of the earth and create an earthly nation that we would later know as the Israelites and Jews and create an earthly people set apart for his glory and she was going to be the wife of the patriarch of faith. She didn't volunteer for this, by the way. It just happened in her life and we know that nothing just happens in our life. She wasn't anything that you would see visible as far as standing out. There's no scripture of her being a prophetess or a great preacher or a great teacher or someone uh, that had angelic visitations. She lived with a man that God visited, but God had not visited her in that way. And she didn't hear what her husband heard. You know what she, she's a type of? She's a type of us. Just common people, just regular people. But she made it into the roll call of faith. And I want to speak to you for a few moments on her unlikely path to power. And by that, I don't mean a position where she's known and recognized and she had influence and status, but a place where God's enablement found her 
and filled her and made her capable to fulfill God's divine intention in her life. It was an uncommon path. It was an unlikely path, but it led her all the way to God's best. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. So if you're taking notes, number one, her path was one of deep emptiness. See, you can't just see someone at the end of the movie. You can see her holding her baby and see the scripture where, and sprang from her many, many nations and multitudes like the sand of the sea. Don't judge someone's last chapter if you haven't watched the movie. That's why you should be slow to judge someone who's dancing in the season of God's best. Keep your mouth off of them because you don't know the hell they went through to get to that season. God doesn't do magic. He brings us along. He brings us through. I love that line in the hymn, through many dangers, toils and snares have already come. And in the process, you're being processed. You're being changed. Her path was one of deep emptiness. Genesis 11 says, but Sarah was barren. She had no child. Not today, but in biblical times and for thousands of years after, it was a deep shame for a woman not to give birth. And especially after the promise of Messiah, because that was their hope that they would somehow be connected. But Sarah was one that... Uh, Kind of like how people treat those that are single now. And I don't understand this. They're like, well, maybe the Lord will send you somebody before long. And you're thinking, I don't even know you and I want to hit you. I don't know. What. You know, there was that feeling for her like, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with Abraham or Abram? Is God mad at her? But in the end, she was childless. And her emptiness was public. You can't hide childlessness in a society where child having children is esteemed. Her emptiness was painful, not something she could hardly bear. Her emptiness was problematic because she could not change it. She could not make herself give birth. And her emptiness was personal. We've all been here at one time or another in our faith. God, are you okay with me? Am I being judged? What is it? Uh, Let me, just, let me just take a moment here. I have a hard time relating with anyone that's never had deep pain. It's never buried someone or buried something or lost something irreplaceable or had some void that screamed in their soul. I have a hard time relating to them because most, if not all, of anything good that's happened in my life that honors God was birthed in the soil of those sorrows. God does not delight in our voids, but he's careful with them. He plows those. He saves the tears. He fertilizes. He, he, he brings water at the right time. And the people that dance the strongest and scream the loudest do so on the soil of their shattered dreams and the voids in their life because when God grants the child to the barren womb can't nobody sing like that mama no one can sing the Lord is my healer 
better than the one that almost died and had the death sentence and God restored and brought him back to life. I, 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 I feel oftentimes no one can sing restoration like I can. They look at you and they go, oh, look how the Lord's blessed him. He, no, it's not this. It's not just this. It's in the, in the emptiness and the void. And we think all this crushing weight those of you today that are lonely and those of you that are under extreme pressure and you say, what can come of this? Glory. Glory. It's an unlikely path, but it's a consistent one. Number two, her path was one of persistent difficulty. This will be one of those messages you got to hold on. It's like the plane goes like this. And it's going to pull up, okay? So just wait with me. God spoke to her husband. God visited her husband and said, Move out of the land of the Ur of Chaldees unto a land that I will show you. And she was uprooted from family, friends, familiarity to travel to the unknown. And she didn't hear God's voice. People say, It's hard to follow the Lord. No, it's hard to follow somebody that's following the Lord. That's hard. And she's thinking, so this is God, not the stick we've been worshiping. And she loses everything familiar. Following the voice of Abraham, the one that Abraham heard that she did not. Arriving in Canaan only to find famine. Weakness and inconsistency in her spouse. All right, married couples, turbulent weather just ahead. Don't point. Don't nudge nobody. Don't laugh. Don't stare. Just look straight ahead. That's the safest path. So here's Abram saying, the Lord visited me. It's time to move. It's time to leave. She says, okay. She gets there and famine is there. And she, she don't say nothing. She's a good Pharisee. Famine's there. But then Abraham starts to flip-flop a little bit. He goes to trusting he goes from trusting to scheming. He trusts the Lord enough to pick up and move to a land that God would show him. And how do you get there? He didn't know faith, faith, faith. He gets there. There's famine. And so he tries to go to Egypt. God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. She's thinking, I thought this was what we... Uh, I think processing the information that we have and adding the facts two and two is four carry three. I think we need to move to Egypt. Hmm. It's very difficult when our spouses waffle in their faith. But listen, you're not their judge. You can, for the role of a submissive wife, as long as it's not sin, you follow. But sometimes the smarter one's not leading. That's the truth. You don't think that God told women to submit to men because we're smarter, do you? Really? In many homes, the woman is more articulate, more, more intelligent, more kind, more caring and compassionate. And the discipline the Lord requires of her is to take a step back and make her husband better than he would ever be without her. It takes humility. For many men, that their longing is to just be free without care and without worry and just be a little boy into their 40s. And God says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he pours out his life for them. Give your spouse room. Maybe they didn't hear what you heard. Maybe they're feeling it differently. Give latitude. Give them space. Because if you do life long enough, 
they're going to impress you and disappoint you with their spiritual fervor. He moved from confidence to fear. So here's Abram. God visited me, the, the, the real God, the one, and told me to pick up and we're going to move to a land that he'll show us. And now here's the same guy. Here's what he said. When he went to Egypt, he told Sarah, now when we go to town, they're going to see that you're fine. It says fair, but if you look up the Hebrew for fair, she's fine. So fine. I'm, how readest thou? Look in your Bible. It's Genesis 12. He said, when they see you, they're going to kill me. Abraham married a babe. Do you hear me? They see you kill me. That just solves the problem. They're going to take you. And, and this is what he said. They'll say, this is his wife and they will kill me. And he moved from caring for her to caring for himself. They're going to kill me and keep you alive. Therefore, I pray that you tell them you're my sister, that it may be well with me. Listen. Doesn't matter what happens to you. Tell them you're my sister so that it'll be well with me. Sarah knew what it was like to be second on the list to her husband. And see, some of us have disqualified or excused ourselves from God's divine plan in our life because our spouse wasn't what they were supposed to be. And her unlikely path says your spouse cannot keep you from fulfilling God's will for your life if you're submitted to it. That is good. Go tell them you're my sister. Let's unpack that just a little bit. So what's going to happen to me? Well, they're going to take you. They're going to make you a concubine. You're going to sleep with the man that owns you. And I'll try to work out something later. You're not the first person that's ever been disappointed in your spouse. You're not the first person whose spouse has ever wavered. It takes great grace to hold it all together when you feel like you're coming apart. And Sarah was a beautiful example of someone whose, whose glory was not found in her giftings, but in her persistence and her stick to He moved from prayerful to prayerless. Everywhere Abram went, built an altar, built an altar. And in Egypt, he built no altar. Be careful, husbands especially. Your wives can get motion sick if you're in, God, out, in, out. In, out. It doesn't mean that you don't keep starting over, but that's hard for someone. If you're, if you're the man, then lead. Don't ask your wife, are, are, are we going? Are, are, are y'all going to church? Are we going to serve? If, you build, if you're prayerful, you're prayerful. If you're thankful, you're thankful. If you pray with your family, pray with your family. And Sarah's watching all of this, and then watch this now. So then Abram has a good swing. Things aren't working in Egypt. So he said, let's go back to Canaan. He goes back to Canaan and he builds an altar. Back to what he first heard. And then God visited him again. Time out. Sarah's like, I ain't seeing God. I'm seeing you. You're just clowning around. And he's, I, I saw God again. And I'm going to build another altar. And you know she's thinking, why don't you just stay consistent? But she didn't say that. And especially for women today, listen, 
Listen, hear your pastor. The greatest need of a woman is to be loved. That's why God said, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the greatest need of a man is for his wife to trust him, even if he doesn't have a stellar track record. And there's no mention of her going, we building altars again? And if your husband makes a turn back to God and it's the 30th turn, or if it's been 30 years since he made a turn, you be the biggest cheerleader he's ever had. Do you hear me? Be the biggest cheerleader he's ever had. Sarah followed him back, grateful that things were back in order, but they were still difficult. Her path was one of internal desperation. She thought God was against her. Genesis 16 says, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing children. And guys, I know y'all are up there. I hate to say it, but you can cut the air off. I got, I got a lady that just fell over. She just, she just fell over. She's froze. One lady, one Sunday, she goes like this. <sighs> but, you know, it'll be 90 this afternoon, so, you know. She said, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing children. She became desperate because how, how little had happened in 10 years. They got to Canaan, the place of promise, the place where God had promised them blessing and children. They're in the place of obedience. They're in the place of God's perfect will, and nothing was happening. And when nothing is happening, we are tempted to make choices that we would never make before. She comes up with the idea because delay can change a person. Change what you know. Change what you believe. And she knew that God had promised them a child. And she said, Abram, I've picked someone. And I'm cutting through the red tape part. And I'm not giving you King James. And I'm not trying to be crass. But this is what it is. I've picked someone for you to sleep with and have a baby so we can have a baby. You know Abram's heart's going. You know. Nobody laughed. But you know he did. You know, he's going, what's her name? Do I know her? So she brings Hagar in, and she is so desperate. It's the first record that I found where she asked him of anything. And Abram, who saw God, because of 10 years of nothing, decided to help the Lord. And oh, church family. If you will let me help you here. 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. There is no regret in the world as deep as trying to help the Lord. So he slept with Hagar. She gave birth to the child. And then Hagar, the concubine, started acting around her like she was superior because God didn't shut up her womb. And Sarah revealed a powerful principle that ought to make every man in this room shudder and at the same time sober himself to his responsibility. She came in and told Abram what was going on with Hagar, acting as if she was greater than and superior to. And she said, my wrong be upon you and walked out. No, time out. We're going to look at it through natural wisdom and spiritual wisdom. Abraham, the natural man, would say, it wasn't my idea. I didn't pick Hagar. I didn't even like her. He, he, would, he could have had all these arguments, 
And what she said was, my wrong be upon you. You're the spiritual head of this home, and it is your responsibility not to allow sin in our home. It's your responsibility. If I clamor for it, if our children, those above us, those around us, those beneath it, you're the priest, I follow you. The woman says, I just, we need to spruce up our marriage. We need, we need some excitement. And you go down that path and you'll wonder why your children go to hell. I know that's strong, but we, we don't go to the world or to fleshly or carnal methods or means to try to fulfill ourselves or God's will in our life. He knew that was wrong. He, God told him that he and Sarah would have that baby. Well, I got to do something. The window's closing. God shatters windows. God shatters windows. And be careful, sir, not to concede. Even if it makes her mad, said, I can't knowingly. I fail you enough unintentionally. I can't knowingly take us down a path of sin. As the priest, she said, my wrong be upon you. And he did never reply back and say, what are you talking about? He said, his silence answered the critics. So, sir, whether it's what you allow in your home, what you allow on the television, what you allow in the music, what you allow. Your wife is called to be submissive to you, but you're called to be submitted to God. And you may at times have to make unpopular decisions. It's very hard for a spiritual wife to follow a carnal man, and it's very hard for a spiritual man to lead a carnal wife. But in gentleness and meekness, you hold the standard of righteousness. When we were growing up, kids today, you know, you can start at kids today and just do legal pads of of stuff. They ain't got no idea. We used to walk to school butt naked uphill both ways with our brother on our back in the winter, you know. They don't know anything about a tube television. How many of you had tube televisions? Rabbit ears. How long did it take to turn on? They don't believe us. Six minutes? Seven minutes? And if you turn it off, common sense would tell you it's warm. It's going to mm -mm -mm -mm. start it over. Six more minutes. My brother and I were antennas. You know, Lassie come on or Walt Disney or something, and Jim would hold one antenna, and I'd hold Jim's hand, and we'd, stop right there. I would rather watch the TV. Hush. Okay. You was antennas. And my dad had this rule in his house. If a cigarette or beer commercial, now I know there were worse things. Back then, though, Andy Griffith was about as bad as it got. On television, you know, when he lit up anything to do with those two things for him, turn the TV off. It wasn't, oh, that's legalist. Mm -mm. My father was raised in an alcoholic home and was beaten with dog leashes, metal dog leashes. His mother was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic. And he saw what it did. And he was becoming one when God saved him. And for him, it was a, a, a simple, uneducated man that said, not in my house. And if my children find that pathway, it will not be because of doors that I leave open. Not in my house. And when you're trying to watch Lassie and the Marlboro man comes on, the little commercial, and you go, and you turn, and you go, 
So you turn it off. That's seven minutes of a 30-minute program. And you know what comes on right after you? know what the next commercial is? Budweiser, King of Beers. So you watch 94 seconds of last. You have to, your imagination has to fill in the blanks and know what it was. I wonder if my mother thought, that's a little excessive, Roger. The kids are just trying to watch. But he was trying to lead. And if you have a man that is flawed, that's trying to lead godly, let him lead. It's easier to restrain a wild horse than it is resuscitate a dead one. Oh, that's good. That's a bumper sticker. That's so good. She was discouraged because she'd failed herself. Every day she saw Ishmael, she knew she had missed God. She wondered if she'd thwarted the plan of God. She was discouraged because Abraham had failed her. Mr. I've seen the Lord doesn't know better than to let me in my weakness bring up some idea like sleep with another woman to bring us a baby. She was discouraged because she felt wrongly that God had failed her. And on top of all of this, Abram does it again. The king of Gerar sees Sarah, and so <laughs> we don't know how it happened. But let's say, just say they're going through town or king coming through town, and he goes, hey, do the sister thing again. Tell the king. I'm his sister. He takes her just like the other king did. Now, both of them were warned of God, but this one's really neat. The Lord appears to this guy in a dream and says, you're a dead man. What I do? You know the last girl you picked up? She's mine. I didn't know. He said, I know you didn't know. That's why I kept you from touching her. Because if you'd have touched her, I'd have killed you. So see, Sarah is more precious than she ever realized. And she had no idea that her life was greater than what she saw. That's what I want to tell you this morning. She never saw. She lived with a lens that was like this, and if she could have just panned out and saw, she was going to be in the lineage. Christ was going to come from that lineage. She was so great to God and so important to God that he would visit people in dreams and said, I'll kill you. She didn't know these things. So why is it recorded? For our learning that we would understand. So this king goes to Abram, why'd you lie to me? He said, because she's fine. I thought you'd kill me. He goes, no, and you can have your wife back, and here's some donkeys and she-goats and cows, and here's two coupons out back. Just go, go, leave us alone. What is it like on the camel ride back? She's saying, again, I see God. Tell him you're my sister. Tell him I'm your sister. What is going on? And she is frustrated. She's desperate. She's disappointed. She's disillusioned. She's discouraged. She's disenfranchised. And any other dis you can think of, she's it. So why would you paint this picture this dark? Because there are unlikely paths to power. And she didn't straighten it out. She survived it. I don't know who that's for this morning. You're trying to straighten things out when all you got to do is outlive it because the things God has spoken over you will happen. The things he's told you he's going to do in your prayer closet will happen. The goal is not to make it all work. 
The goal is for you to stay so near to God that you'll see it happen. She came through great change. God had scheduled something for her that she didn't see. And God didn't tell her. He told Abram about to do something for Sarai. That was her name. Sarai, your wife. You're not going to call her Sarai anymore. You're going to call her Sarah, which means princess. And I'm going to bless her. And I'm going to give her a son. And I'm going to bless her. And she'll be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety year old bear? And we know that Abram's laugh was not unbelief because God didn't rebuke him. But God told Abram what he was doing for Sarah. For Sarah. Listen, he said, I'm changing her. Don't look at what's missing. Don't look at her attitude maybe or her feelings or her frustrations because I'm rewriting her DNA through all of this disappointment. Little did she know that she was going to make it from her to Hebrews 11. God said, I'm changing her. I'm speaking over her, princess. Not beaten down wife, princess. Not disappointed wife, princess. I'm going to bring out of her See, the goal, the goal was not to get the child to her. It was to bring Sarah out of Sarai. God was doing something for her. He was going to open the heavens, he said, and I'm going to bless her. Listen, much is said about blessings, but they've cheapened it. They've watered it down. They've, they've swapped glory for packing peanuts. It's not the same thing. God said, I'm going to bless her. Blessings a blessing from the Lord is not you getting a material thing. It can show up in a material thing, but that's not it. It's a decree. When the Bible spoke in Malachi to the, to the Israelites, the Israelites, not the church, the Israelites, he said, bring your tithes into the storehouse and they may meet, my, meet in my house and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain it. Blessing, not blessings, one. So just one blessing from me. You can't even pick it all up. And God said, I'm about to bless her. I'm about to open up a window in her life that man can't shut. And people are going to look on her life. It's Kelly and I's favorite Psalm 127. It said, the heathen looked at what the Lord did for them and said, the Lord hath done wonderful things for you. He said, I'm going to bless her. Up to this point, it was Abram. He said, no, Sarah's chapter's coming. I'm going to open up the heavens I'm going to heal her heart. I'm going to give her a son. He was swearing it. He said again, he said, and I'm going to bless her. Why do you say it twice? Because I don't want you to miss it. When God says, verily, verily, Jesus did. I say unto you, he said, now listen, this is important. And for him to repeat it, he said, I swear I'm going to bless her. Unmistakably, publicly, personally, privately, intimately, and it's going to change her. He was going to broaden her perspective. He said, she's going to be a mother of nations, not just a mother of her son. See, she's thinking son. God says, no, not son, nations. There's a big gap here. You're thinking what I'm going to do for you, and I'm telling you that what I do for you is going to include everybody else. Broaden your perspective, Sarah. And he was revealing her legacy. He said, 
Kings will be born of you. Well, I just wanted a baby. I know Sarah. But there's way more to you than Abram ever thought. There's way more to you than your pagan daddy ever thought. There's way more to you than you ever thought. And there's way more to you than being a mama. You're going to be the mother of kings. How does someone like you and I get to be kings and priests unto God? How do we, how do we get to be sons and daughters of the living God? How do we get to know him and experience him and walk with him and partake of his spirit and receive touches from him? We take unlikely paths. I wonder if anyone has disqualified themselves today based on failures. Or you've disqualified yourself based on delay. Or you've disqualified yourself because of what other people have said about you. I told you they'd called Abram by the wrong name all his life. Abram meant father. And he said, I'm not a father. He said, you're right. But your name is Abraham, father of many nations. And Sarah, AI, they've called you by the wrong name all your life. We need to get a heavenly view of how God views us, which will free us from the, the inconsistent opinions of people that are not only inaccurate, but they're irrelevant. God said, oh, well, her path to, uh, to glory was changed. I'm going to change Sarah, AI. And he did it through difficulty. He did it through disappointment. She had to follow Abram first and then learn to follow by herself later. She came to faith because you cannot birth promises through other people's faith. You cannot birth promises through other people's faith. All right, you ready to pull up? You ready? Here we go. Number five, the last point. Sarah's unlikely path culminated in joy. Years, 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 decades after the promise. The Lord visited again to Abram as a theophany came and walked up to him. Three men, it was, most commentaries, commentators believe it was the Lord and two angels disguised as men. And Abram bowed himself to the earth and asked Sarah, he said, hey, make something to eat for these guys. He knew there was something different, and she's killing the calf and kneading the bread. And they, one of the men said, or the Lord said, this time next year, Sarah's going to have a, a son. And she laughed. And the Lord rebuked her when she came in and said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, yeah, you did. I heard you. Oh, you ever had that happen? I didn't do that. Yeah, you did. Okay. No, but you did laugh. Now, Abram laughed when he heard, he said, how going to have a baby? I'm 100 years old. This, how's God going to do it? She laughed. She, so you're going to have a baby. Have you seen Abraham? He's thinking, have you seen the old woman? She's laughing. She said, no, no, no. Abraham sits in the recliner for 30 seconds and goes to sleep. We ain't having babies. Abraham, Abraham no, no, we can't have a child. She laughed and chuckled. But the Bible says in Genesis 21, and the Lord visits, visited Sarah, just like he said, visited Abraham, 
the day was changing for her. If our musician would come, please. The day was changing for her. God appeared to Abram, continued to appear to Abram, but this time he visited Sarah and did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age and at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abram called the name of his son that whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. See, they told her, Sarah, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. So it was specific. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God has commanded him. And Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, listen, God has made me to laugh. So that all who hear this story will laugh with me. She may have started out in confusion, but she ended in clarity. She may have started out in emptiness, but she ended in fullness. She may have started out in unbelief, but she ended in a place of absolute faith. She may have started out powerless, but God filled her with his strength. She may have started out slow, but she ended in Hebrews 11. Her joy was profound, not because Isaac had found her, but because but because God had never lost her. She was known, she was loved, she was protected and supplied by God himself. And she invites all of us to laugh along with her that God's sufficiency is greater than all of our past experiences combined. Sarah receives strength. What does that mean? Capacity. God, what flowed from God and flowed into her, made what was impossible yesterday possible today. When God has given you a promise, God keeps his word. See, we struggle because we say things like this. Well, how can God send me somebody when I ain't meeting nobody? How can I take care of my family? How can I get a promotion when I didn't do my education? How? Because God doesn't reward. How? How? By faith. Now, God's not going to reward foolishness, but he knows we got to take care of our family. And strength. I talked about this in Sunday school. Strength, dunamis, power, enablement flows like water to the lowest place. And when a person humbles themselves, and they become lower than the enablement. It pours into her life. She obviously talked to the Lord. I'm not talking to you as Abram's God. I'm talking to you as mine. Because God would not have rewarded unbelief. And then she began to laugh. Laugh at how far she's come. Laugh at how much she's changed. Laugh at how beautiful life had become. You want to know the big joke was? God said, name him Isaac. It means laughter. Sarah, do you get the joke? You laughed at me, now you're going to laugh with me. So every time she woke him up, laughter, get up, you're going to be late for school. Laughter, clean your room. How many times do I have to tell you laughter? All her life, she was reminded. That God was sovereign. 
and that the plans he had for her transcended every disappointment and would be above all that she could ask or think. Let me read this to you in closing. Sarah believed. Most of her life she was unaware of the magnitude of all that God was doing in, for, and through her, but she believed. Most of her life she lived in the shadow of someone else, but later cast a great shadow of her own. Most of her life was spent waiting, wondering, winsome, and weary. Most of her life was in fact preparing her for the most important chapter in her life. Sarah believed. She came to a place of faith in spite of her pain, her disappointment, her discouragement and disillusionment. In spite of the delay between God's promises and their fulfillment. Even though her season had passed. And even though she had had great failures that could not be hidden. She believed. Her faith transcended her experiences and went straight to God's person. Her faith did not look within herself nor look to her husband, but above to God and God alone. Her faith did not wear out, even though it was very old. Her faith caught the eye of God, moved the heart of God, and released the power of God. Sarah laughed. I just love that phrase. Sarah laughed. She laughed deep, deeply, or deeply. She laughed joyfully, and she laughed without effort. She laughed her way into healing. She laughed her way into wholeness. And she laughed her way into contentment. She laughed because of what she didn't know and what she would never forget. She laughed her way into the pages of the Bible and into the familiar places of our heart. And the lesson is clear today. You are either spending your life laughing at God or with God. You're either seeing the promises, hearing the stories, and you may even make mental assent that they happen for someone else, but you laugh at the idea of God being gracious to you and good to you and faithful to you, and that's laughing at God. And Sarah would tell you, oh, baby, don't, don't get hung up in everything that's happened to you. Unlikely paths are narrow, but they lead to specific destinations. And God is using this pathway so that you won't miss his plan. The cost of laughing, the cost of laughing with God is vulnerability. When you step out and say, I know the plans the Lord has for me are to prosper me and bless me and bring me to an expected end and to give me a hope. I know the Lord is for me. When Myra and Scott stood out and said, I know the Lord is going to give us a little girl and her name is Joy. And whatever your statement is, I know the Lord blank. And when you laugh with God, you are vulnerable. That's the cost. But when you laugh with God, the reward is unspeakable joy. It's never the thing but the thing reminds you of the thing. Every time I wake up in the morning and I'm going to get my little girls their chocolate milk and they come and sit in my lap, I remember how the Lord told me, you won't find your children, they'll find you. And the thing turns me to the thing. He says, oh Lord, you're not a man that you should lie 
or the Son of Man that you should repent. What you speak happens. You keep your word. You're faithful to a thousand generations. Now watch. I'm almost done. Sarah received strength because she judged God faithfully. That's it. How is it you can see your past more clearly than you can see the presence and the person of God? God's faithful. God's faithful. God's faithful. And on his robe was written the words, faithful, true, faithful, faithful. I know you don't believe this, some of you. But there are others in this room. I believe the Lord wants me to tell you. You will laugh again. And you're going to invite other people to laugh along with you. Say, doesn't this just beat all you've ever seen? Doesn't this beat all you've ever seen? Sarah said, oh, baby, learn to laugh at yourself. Learn to Stop laughing at God. Laugh at everything else but not at God. Isaac, Sarah, by faith. So Sarah is the message for those that might not be visible but are seen by God. This path you're on leads to glory if you'll just laugh with God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. But in your assessment, the path you're on cannot lead to joy. It just can't. Do you have the faith to believe that God's design and desire for you is wholeness? Not a life without difficulty, but wholeness. And that he'll keep his promises to you. There's some that you'd say today, I've been chuckling silently at promises of God. Like, that ain't going to happen. You got to repent of that. Because God heard it. You say, no, I didn't do it. God said, yeah, you did do it. And God's inviting you to believe along with him. To believe along with him for the promises. With no one looking around, this is how I want to close. It won't take but a moment. Father, I choose to laugh with you today. As absurd as what I'm believing for sounds. Like Sarah's dead womb. I'm believing you're going to pour the strength into me to do what I couldn't do yesterday, tomorrow. I'm just believing you for it. If that's you, I just want you to stand in his presence. Jesus, you're all I 
Amen. Don't you believe the words that he just spoke? Jesus, you're all I need. Those of you that stood just a few minutes ago, I believe that statement right there is meant for you. And those of you that were afraid to stand because I've been there, those words are for you. I'm going to close out in prayer, and I know that God's got a great day planned for you. So if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to lift you up. We want to praise you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We want to thank you, Lord God, for doing what you've already done in our lives, Lord God. We want to thank you in advance for what you will be doing. And Lord God, let us all experience the laughter and the joy that Sarah got to experience as prayers were answered one after another. Lord God, we love you. We give you all glory and all praise for what you're going to do because you are the King of kings. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day in the Lord.